So here's part two of the first CTRM Radio podcast of 2023. CTRM Radio is an ad hoc podcast of Commodity Technology Advisory, LLC, hosted on ctrmcenter.com, your place for everything CTRM, and kindly sponsored by Enuit. In part one, we heard from a number of industry participants around the theme Opportunities and Threats for 2023. In this part of the episode, we pick up with more of the same, followed by a summation from Patrick and myself as analysts in the space. Let's get started then with Jan van den Brom of Agibu. What I see as an, as, an, as an opportunity here in the CTRM market is that the world changed completely in 2022. And what I see is that market price volatility, but not only market price volatility, but also commodity availability. And that, that goes obviously for the energy markets, but but definitely also on the metals and, and the agriculture and soft markets, is that organizations are much more aware of the vulnerability on price and on, on availability. And, and what that means for the CTRM markets is that there is a sudden demand to integrate commodity trade and risk management as a cohesive operational business process and with that obviously information technology into their well global or overall business process and that means that the market is shifting from where ctrm is traditionally used in a trading company who who thrives on volatility uh, where they of course wants to manage risks and, and and market exposure into the purchasing but also into the operation and even into the sales part and that means a complete opportunity challenge for CTRM vendors or associated CTRM vendors who, who provides technology in the space is to figure out how to help these organizations the best. That, that is an opportunity not only for, for the CTRM vendors, it's also an opportunity for the organizations who are demanding that. But I see it almost also as an opportunity um, to the world because the world, the consumer in the end, he or she deserves a proper risk management and price. And you have definitely seen that in the energy market. That, that is definitely an opportunity and, and where I would not say we struggle with that as, as, a, as an industry, as a CTRM industry. We're finding ways right now to get that into a cohesive landscape. The biggest threat I see is that the industry is losing knowledge. What you have seen in the past on the commodity trade and risk management side is that the, the trend or the, the actually the, the common common ground was that people were in trading companies in purchasing departments many people have there been for years and they gained all the knowledge it used to be well you sit somewhere and and of course not the majority uh, maybe not but uh, quite a few people they sit until their pension they they gain a lot of knowledge about the markets about how you trade how you hedge how you provide proper risk management and they were doing that, but what you have, what we have seen in the in in the last decades, and that is now coming almost to an end, is that either a big group of these people went, they are retired, 
we see that the people switch much quicker jobs and they not definitely switch within that space. And that means that I've, I, what I've seen is that the, the knowledge level is declining with that. And, with, and, and that is a threat because proper risk management is, is, is not only a skill, it's also an art. And, and it relies on many years of experience. You, you, it's, you, cannot, you cannot learn commodity trade within, within a year. It, it requires a vast amount of experience and guidance and coaching. What you see is that people are having issues with, okay, I have a CTRM landscape, but how do I really use that to provide proper risk management? And I think there is also a task for, for our industry to, to build up the knowledge um, in that industry. Uh, but without the knowledge on, on the work floor, you have a serious threat that even you can have systems like you want, but if you don't apply the right procedures and the right operations, then it's becoming worthless. So uh, that, is a, that is a threat for the industry and for the, for the markets and also for CTRM vendors because they rely on people using the system properly and gaining out the controls they want. And here's Patrick talking to Dr. Jens Bartenschlager of Fidectus. So today we're visiting with Dr. Jens Bartenschlager, CEO and founder of Fidectus, post-trade services organization dedicated to uh, automating post-trade services around the globe. The question of the day really is, what do you see as the threats and opportunities that, that face those markets that, uh, that you look at uh, either on a Kind of a holistic basis or very specific to what uh, what Fidectus services? Sure. So, so hi, Patrick. It's great uh, uh, being here again. Let me talk, take a more general answer to your question. So generally, traders like volatile markets, I'd say. And we have seen a few ones lately. For example, there was a snowstorm in Texas with massive price increases of up to $9,000 per megawatt hour. We've seen things like a container ship stuck in the Suez Channel, which caused effectively oil prices uh, to jump 6%. We've also seen, due to prioritizing renewable energy in Germany, effectively causing low or sometimes even negative prices. So this is pretty much what we have considered as normal in the past happening in the market, right? Today, we're even dealing with a higher frequency of even extremer events. So one everybody of us is aware of is certainly the Ukrainian conflict, which is impacting physical gas, first time physical supply really, but also commercially the prices massively. And we've seen things like the nuclear power plant outage in France suddenly causing massive power price increases in Europe. Just two examples. What I'm trying to, to, to go here is that there is generally five fundamental changes the markets face. One is certainly the energy markets uh, becoming more global. So due to this certain situation, this is probably accelerated. We have LNG prices, for example, increasingly connecting major global gas markets to each other. Within markets like Europe, we see power and gas trading hubs increasingly correlate and effectively transform into a more regional market. The second thing we see is that energy markets are increasingly trading in real time. So in a few countries, we see power and gas traded in 10-minute slots. If you compare that to what was uh, happening years ago, effectively daily, this is a substantial difference. Third is that the energy markets are increasingly automating. So I guess you're all aware of algorithmic trading without any human intervention. 
fourth is that the energy transitioning is effectively opening up new opportunities, namely new commodities traded. To name a few ones, it's things like biofuels, guarantees of origin, lithium, RECs, etc. I consider these niche products for now uh, that initially trade on a bilateral basis, but quickly evolve to OTC markets with still limited liquidity, which then requires strong price risk management before it then becomes more liquid, right? And is, is, is traded in, in a broader way. And last but not least, we have energy and commodity trading markets becoming effectively more competitive and rapidly evolving. There's new players. We have industrial consumers opening or operating trading floors in wholesale markets. We have traders expanding across multiple commodities. For example, there's a number of commodity traders effectively going into power and carbon emissions trading and things like that. So depending on where the individual trading organization comes from, any of these changes can be perceived either as a threat or an opportunity to come back to your initial question. What can they do effectively about it? I differentiate two things. One thing is they can promote growth in trading. And the second thing is they can effectively drive efficiency. So how can they promote growth? Growth is uh, driven by trading margins primarily, right? And uh, markets with a low liquidity, to come back to those new niche products, usually come with a higher trading margin. So that currently applies for the examples made, also hydrogen, for example, or cobalt, or voluntary carbon, I almost forgot that. And we're seeing this um, in European gas also, which most likely is of temporary nature here right now, due to the overall situation of a lot of mid-sized players uh, effectively and not being credit worthy anymore and this being a seller market. However, uh, the second growth driver can be harnessing advanced analytics and algorithmic trading. And this works especially in volatile short-term markets such as intraday, power trading, for example. So I can effectively substantially reduce costs by optimizing bidding of renewable assets, just to name one example. The other uh, way to approach this is by driving efficiency. This is pretty much by the, achieving the best-in-class trading performance management and the best-in-class operating model. So a continuous performance management is crucial to optimize effectively your risk capital allocation between your trading desks and structuring appropriate incentive schemes, which really reflect the risk-adjusted P&L. So in easier terms, things like cash collateral and inventory drive working capital, which drives capital employed, which along risk capital consumed effectively drives the return on capital employed. However, with uh, such a best-in-class trading performance management, the operating model becomes increasingly important. Because without an appropriate operating model, the incentive schemes won't come into play. You, you cannot effectively not improve uh, things like your post-trading uh, operations without that. And uh, there is there's four key tools required to, to get there. One could be the merging of middle office activities effectively across desks, which can create synergies. Uh, we, we all know how, how the structuring is today of companies. But this is quite powerful and it creates synergies in daily PL as well as analytics. The second one is installing the right interfaces with your production and your marketing assets. So trading can actually be able or be 
be enabled to further optimize and monetize the overall company portfolio. The third one is uh, adopting a lean and modern trading IT architecture, which effectively embraces the latest digital innovation and enables quick and easy connection into any ecosystem players. That's what we see lately, uh, it's all the field we play in. That can clearly mean to buy instead of build, especially for the supporting processes, right? You just want to have it work. Which brings me to the last key tool, which is the optimization of the so-called trade to cash processes that follow the trade life cycle from the time a trade is effectively made until its final settlement. It comprises things like confirmations, regulatory reporting, settlement netting, payment, for example, in European power and gas, and things like scheduling and nomination for the US natural gas to be added to that. This is what we consider the optimization of the full post-trade life cycle. So effectively to summarize all that, I think it's imperative to stay on top of the fundamental market changes. And pursuing growth and drive efficiency certainly is the way to best position yourself and that applies to any trader out there. However, adopting a lean trading architecture and actually optimize the trade to cash process itself are no regret moves from my point of view. So either get traders, they either get traders a competitive advantage, either thing, sorry, either thing gets traders a competitive advantage in, in the increasingly changing markets. So to finally answer your question, <laughs> what, what uh, threats and, and opportunities I see, it's rather how you deal with them and how your organization is able to perform. You did Absolutely. make a point earlier about credit issues associated with mid-sized yeah. companies, uh, effectively turning them into sellers. Do you see credit mm -hmm. as, as being a long-term issue given the continuing volatility, or do you see uh, the kind of a, a weeding out of weaker companies as, uh, as the markets start to kind of find their center with, a, with this volatility? So it depends. Let me give you two concrete examples of what we are seeing in the European market. On the one hand, we have markets like, for example, the Swiss market. There is measures by the legislation or the regulation to effectively protect wholesale traders not to go default. What that does is it has a positive impact on that credit risk, as you can tell, because as a counterparty, I'm not afraid of them going away. So trading can continue effectively. A market where we see that applying differently currently is Germany. And um, due to the overall uh, gas situation right now, right, with the lack of uh, gas coming from, from the east, from Russia, an increasing uh, gas coming through LNG terminals and especially from Norway, the whole market is rather considered as a so-called seller market, right? There's a few parties out there, maybe two dozens or something like that, that are pretty much gas long, that can sell gas. But there's a few in the market that can effectively buy it because of their credit situation. So like a year ago, we wouldn't have thought it's possible that a, a utility, a local utility owned by a, a city, for example, would ever go bankrupt. Now we see that happen because there is no such protection mechanism in place in a, in a market like Germany. What that effectively means due to, the exist, due to the current prices is that the credit limits are off multiples. So sometimes we see a multiple of 10, which means without effectively getting a massive liquidity temporary somewhere, 
put it down as a collateral, you're not able to buy gas and your condo body is not able to sell you gas. Mm-hmm. So to, to answer your question, and that applies to quite a number of players like mid-sized and small-sized players in the market. So what we see is you either change that situation with uh, new innovative approaches. For example, part of that equation we can effectively help with the earlier late payments, prepayments and all this kind of stuff. But effectively, since those contracts usually take a, a, a long time, there's other ways uh, to utilize collateral. I'm not going into much depth, there's there's quite some innovation, I think, coming in the market, or the jurisdiction decides to do something about it. So even if we see uh, prices coming down, this is not a situation that is going to change overnight for those market participants. The other way is they effectively get that liquidity to put it down as a, as a collateral to continue uh, trading. Or the third option, and it's irrelevant there if we are talking about exchange-traded gas or OTC-traded gas, the third option is effectively they just take the market price risk. So we talked to a bunch of people um, across the industry, admittedly largely on the software side of things but and, and on the service side of things. And I think we heard a, a range of opinions um, in terms of opportunities and threats in 2023. What was the recurring theme for you? Well, the, I mean, the one thing I picked up on was really it's no surprise is, is volatility. And volatility is, of course, a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It is both an opportunity and a threat, depending upon where you sit in the marketplace. And I think in, in relation to that, we, uh, we also heard a lot about how you need to make sure you've got the appropriate systems in place to uh, measure and, and your risks and uh, help to ameliorate those risks. So, uh, and, and two, I think we, the other theme there was it's not necessarily a singular system, just as you and I have been pointing out for the last couple of years. It's really about finding the, the most capable capabilities out there, capable yeah. capabilities, if you want to say that, in order to be able to address the current market conditions. Uh, how about you? I mean, was there something else that you, you picked up on that? I picked up on a couple of things, obviously the volatility, but also the liquidity risk and, and the credit concern. And one of the, one of the speakers that you spoke to um, spoke extensively about what's happened in Germany with some of the utilities that uh, plainly in the past were, were considered to be rock steady and um, experienced all kinds of problems this year. Uh, so credit risk, it seems to continue to be one of these things that, that emerges periodically and makes that, that software market pretty difficult to forecast. I, I think that the European experience has been a bit unique globally, um, you know, given the Russian interruptions of, of gas and then the, the knock-on effects into power markets. So I think, I think clearly from a European perspective, that, that credit risk, that liquidity risk is extremely uh, uh, difficult to work and to, to manage these days. North America, yeah, I mean, uh, price volatility is still here, but we're not seeing the extremes that we, we've seen in, in Europe. It's, it's more seasonal, uh, the seasonality of the, the gas and power markets. So um, I, uh, I'm not going to say it's purely a European phenomenon, but it's certainly centered in, in Europe more than other places these days. Yeah, and I was going to say the other thing that uh, I heard as well was, was the reference to skill shortages and expertise shortage, shall we say, which when you've got a market that's evolving so rapidly and so full of different issues to have expertise retiring and walking out the door that's a risk in of itself which i don't think is is given the attention that it deserves quite honestly 
Yeah, well, let, let's face it. I mean, you look at the age of this marketplace, you know, since really energy trading came on board, really became a, a, a thing in, in the marketplace. And you know, these people are as old as you and I are now, Gary. So it's not necessarily surprising to see uh, kind of that, that top tier of experienced resources starting to roll off. And, and you, you do see a void, I think, coming down to that next tier. Yeah. Uh, not to say that there aren't a lot of great resources there because there are, but I think just the numbers and, and the, those that are experienced in, in really difficult markets, uh, there just isn't the number that there used to be. Well, again, in some of the segments, industry segments, it makes you wonder with the political background going on, how, you know, if I was, if I was a young geologist now uh, coming into the job market, would I be looking for an oil and gas company to work for, or, or would I be looking for something else? So it makes you wonder how some of these industrial segments will will survive the skill shortage because it's a skill shortage that could be terminal. Yeah, no doubt about it. And unfortunately, I think it's a bit short-sighted. I think those that, that do choose oil and gas careers are probably going to be sitting in a very nice place in the future simply because others have shied away from it. Uh, and there will be a continuing shortage of skilled resources there because I don't care what anybody says, oil and gas is not going away. In the next 30 years, it's, um, you know, uh, to say otherwise is, uh, you know, is a ridiculous statement. No, it might be in decline, but it's certainly not going away. And uh, no. oil and gas have many, many other uses that people take for granted and don't necessarily appreciate as coming from oil. So, well, and that's going to certainly, it will also be the bridge to whatever the renewables future is. And I think that's unfortunately the thing that isn't acknowledged is you can't do one without the other. You can't have this massive influx of renewables without having, you know, gas uh, as, as the, uh, the peaking um, or just to steady the market, if nothing else. So, and then as you point out, oil will always be there as well. So I, I think the skills shortage is, is very real, but I think, uh, uh, you know, as the old guy in the market, uh, I would always encourage people to continue to look at that marketplace for employment because I think it does offer good opportunities. Um, in terms of both opportunities and threats, I think that uh, expect the unexpected would be par for the course in 2023. Whatever that might be, I think people have to be prepared and ready and understand where they are with respect to their portfolio in all kinds of different events, whether that's a broadening of a war in Europe or shortages of some particular commodity in, in some other location for some reason. And of course, those those things can be threats and also opportunities, depending on which side of the, 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 um, the pie, I suppose, you sit. I think the other thing is that um, I think we'll continue from a CTRM perspective to see smaller vendors do well with software as a service and cloud native ecosystems. And I think that they'll begin to uh, replace some of the older monolithic solutions. Uh, that's just inevitable. It's a, it's a technical, it's a technical migration. Yeah. And there, there's nothing much I can add to that other than, you know, I think that the industry just needs to follow the Boy Scout motto and say, be prepared, <laughs> always prepared. It's, uh, you know, we, we, the, the events we've seen over the last couple of years have been, uh, I guess, I would call them gray swans in, in a way. You know, the pandemic was, was certainly impactful. And who's to say there won't be another one in another couple of years, heaven forbid. But, uh, 
No, I, I, to your point, I think it's 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 about ensuring you have the right systems, the right capability, and, and the right people that can uh, react and, and proact to, to emerging events. It's um, there's just simply no other way to look at this marketplace in 2023 and and even beyond. Uh, you know, we've we've certainly seen the disruptions, um, and there's nothing to say those disruptions won't continue. I suppose if I was to add one other thing, it would be increased automation. I think we'll see more use of automation, not necessarily physical robots replacing people in, in factories and things in this industry, but certainly automation in the sense of streamlining business processes that are repetitive and somewhat boring and trying to extract the odd transaction that looks abnormal for human intervention and control. I think that's a yeah. Must. I think RPA is certainly going to be a play a role, but I think too, if you start thinking about it further and, and think about AI, and, and certainly as you start to look at optimization technologies and that kind of thing empowered by AI, you know, I'm not sure if you're going to see a huge shift in in 2023, uh, but I think we are starting to see AI embedded in in these optimization strategies more and more, and I think over the next several years, uh, that will become. Uh, more common will be put into more use and, and may help pull some of the volatility out of the market, operational volatilities that, that we've seen in the past. And it's certainly not going to help the geopolitical volatilities, but uh, I think operationally it, it will certainly help. And just finally, do you think we're going to see new commodities like hydrogen, uh, et cetera, take off this year, or do you think it's still too early? I think it's too early from my perspective. Hydrogen has a lot of nuances and, and physical characteristics that don't necessarily play well with current infrastructures. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's going to be problematic, just making a switch over. And then you start to think about, well, sources of hydrogen. Where are you getting green hydrogen? Uh, how much energy are you expending to, to generate hydrogen? What's the true economic value? I, I don't know that we're necessarily there yet. And that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, because it's been talked up pretty good in Europe in some places. So we'll see. It's, it's an Well, there's, there's money going into that market. But, you know, just because yeah. money's going into that market doesn't always mean that it's, it's, a, it's a necessarily an efficient market. It's, it's certainly a hyped market. Exactly. So thank you for listening to CTRM Radio. This has been part two of a podcast on opportunities and threats in 2023. Our thanks to all of the participants, also to our uh, sponsor, Enuit, the award-winning provider of CTRM and commodity management solutions worldwide. Please do like, share and post this podcast. And thank you for listening. Goodbye from me. You've been listening to CTRM Radio, a podcast by leading industry analysts, Commodity Technology Advisory. You can find more information about us at ComTechAdvisory.com and much more news, views, research, and information on CTRM at the CTRM Center at CTRMCenter.com. Thank you for joining our presenters, managing partners Patrick Reams and Gary M. Basie and their guests today, and we hope to see you on a future edition of CTRM Radio.